This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when the only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on Instagram at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and This Family Tree 10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree Podcast, episode 125. Nice. I know. A nice, solid number. It feels good. And we have a really good episode tonight. I'm so excited for this one. Out-of-the-box guest who I was hoping to get on the show for a while. We've got Queen Essie. Queen Essie is a body hair activist, and we talk about beauty culture, her journey with body hair. She, and like when I say body hair, she has chest hair, armpit hair, leg hair. You know, so like if if I was to grow out hair, I'd have armpit hair, leg hair, right? But Essie, as a naturally hairy woman, she's always had chest and stomach hair. So it is a difficult journey. We get into that. It is fascinating, and it's fascinating now. Go check out her Instagram just how she brings femininity into it. And it's awesome. She's so cute and so energetic. I really loved it. Oh, I'm excited to listen to this one. It's going to be interesting. Oh my God, yeah. No, you'll like it a lot. But before we get into everything else, Shane, give me a little toast. I kept it simple tonight. Seedlip Garden 108 and Fever Tree Tonic. Give you a toast or give you a cheers? Because those are two different things. So give me a toast. Oh, give me a cheers. Okay, cheers. <laughs> cheers. And I, I kept it easy because uh, after our COVID last week, you said that your taste buds weren't all the best. I so I didn't want to go. Up. I was acting. I feel like I had the <laughs> lightest version of COVID. My other friends who had it, my one friend just had it actually recently. And he said he actually, he got knocked out, kind of lost his taste, his smell. For me, it felt like of the three sicknesses I've had in the last two years, it was the lightest sickness. And I guess I still have it. I feel a little bit stuffed up right now. My voice is a little different. I'm still testing positive for COVID. But it's, it's fading again. So this all started and we talked about this on the last podcast, you know, after a weekend away, Shane and I were partying it up in Toronto and doing the same things, like going to the same places, sleeping in the same bed, making out for lack of a better term. And you, on the Sunday morning before we came home, we both took a rabbit test. You had the faintest line. I had nothing. Shane's line last week progressively got more solid until it was like just the most obvious thing. And I continued to test negative, but I was like sicker than you. And you took a PCR, which is supposedly a better, a more accurate test. But I did that so early. No one in the family has tested positive for COVID but me. How could that be possible? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm beginning to think COVID might be a hoax. <laughs> Shane goes full mega. I don't know. 
No, it's it's nuts because I I felt terrible and my symptoms last week that I had all week weren't regular cold or flu. Like I think my most annoying symptom aside from just being so tired um, was that I had that feeling of like running a mile when you're out of shape and you get that metallic blood kind of taste and you're winded. I got that just from walking to the sidewalk and back, walking to one side of the house and back. And that's not regular. Like that's not a cold or a flu typically. And you were spiraling out of control a little bit with a panic attack. Yeah. And you started, it was very psychosomatic and you thought maybe you couldn't breathe and you're like, (gasps) are you looking at me like that didn't happen? When did that happen? When you were on the couch. No, I was saying because I was feeling winded. Not that I couldn't breathe, but I was feeling winded. You were really freaking out. You're like, my, yeah, because it's chest. we, it's okay. freaky. All I'm doing is telling the story, and you're well. Like, you're making it seem like psychosomatic, like I wasn't even having those symptoms. Psychosomatics when you are having the symptoms. Well, because you're forcing yourself to. But I was thinking about it because I was getting those symptoms already. Or <laughs> were you? Okay, uh, I mean, it was you were f- hyper focused on it. It's, yeah. It's like I used to get this thing. Called genital focused anxiety, <laughs> <laughs> which is I could literally make out with someone. I would just think, oh, I have, I have a STD. So wait, the 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 genital focused anxiety was on you getting sick, not being like, why is it so small? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it was a similar thing, but you were, it it was you're focusing on something that could be there. But because your mind is so focused in it, it brings out symptoms that might not have existed otherwise. Right. Okay. So I'm trying, I've tried to do this a couple of times. Alice won't (laughs) let me say it, but I had weird penis symptoms that were in line with what you'd associate an STD with. Right. I was convinced. I would have bet my life on it. I get the test where they shove the, it's kind of like a COVID test, but for your penis, where they shove a very thin q-tip like exactly the same actually the ones we were using for our mm. nose and everything they shoved it up my pee hole oh my god Shane! and they move it around and i'm like ah oh my gosh i got tested clean as a whistle oh my gosh it clean was as, i'm gonna vomit but so i found out it, it was genital focused anxiety anyway wait wait who died I'm, I'm fascinated by this who who diagnosed you with that me on google <laughs> <laughs> doctor Shane stepped your, in. Your doctor didn't say this is what it is? I am my own doctor. No, but your doctor, did they say you have genital focus? I am my own doctor. <laughs> yeah. How how well has that worked out for you, Shane? Very well. <laughs> I went all- almost two years without COVID. <laughs> Shane's always freaking out about a different ailment, by the way, if you are new to this podcast. There's always something scary that's going on with you. When we first got together, moved into our first house, you thought you had a butt problem. Something was weird. I had butt focused anxiety. (laughs) You were taking two hour baths every night in salts because of your butt anxiety. Yeah. And do you know what it was? I was focusing on my butthole too much. (laughs) Shane told his doctor you wanted a, what's it called? Colonoscopy. A colonoscopy. And then Shane wanted to stay totally awake the whole time. Well, I was scared I would die if they gave me the anesthesia. What's it called? The anesthetic. An- anest- anesthesia. <laughs> you sound like an old mobster. <laughs> the anesthesia. Because some people die under that. Getting their routine colonoscopy. 
No. <laughs> when you're put under, you don't yeah. wake up sometimes. So I was worried about that. I was worried about my butthole. They check my butthole. It, again, exactly like the STD thing. They shoved the tube up my butt. It was painful. It was weird. And for some reason, they, they want you to look at the TV monitor with well, them as they go through your butt. It's interesting. I'm like, you do your job. I don't want to look at that. You didn't want to look at it? No, it's See, gross. When I eventually, because we all got to get colonoscopies. When I eventually start getting mine, I do want to look up. That is so cool. No, it's not cool. Uh, for me, it's not. <laughs> Teach their own. But the second I got out of the colonoscopy, I felt fine. Right. All of my symptoms just went away. The so next wait, day. did your um, symptoms go away after you got tested when you had genital focused anxiety? Yes. The, as I walked out, they went away. It's the exact same thing. Simply doing the perfunctory task that my body was telling me I needed to do to check somehow healed my body. It made me feel like I did my due diligence and right. whatever happens was in like God's hands or something. And that's what happened to you. I could I could see you were having lung-focused anxiety mm -hmm. and you were spiraling a little bit. So I came over and calmed you down and then it went away. Yes, but I was still feeling bad all week. Like I felt bad all week and I'm still feeling exhausted. I feel like I've been through something. Yes. You know what I mean? But you wanted to be almost hop hospitalized or you were thinking about going to the ER or like you might die that night. You were having thoughts like that. Oh, I was freaked out. I know. I could tell. But 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 you've but never because, actually vocalized these thoughts, but I could see them. No, but because because the the symptoms were there, it made me think, okay, what does this mean? It's not like, oh, I might have COVID and it might give me these symptoms. It's like, no, I'm having these symptoms and I probably have COVID, even though for some reason it's not coming up. So what does this mean for me? And that was scary. Because I definitely yes. I think I had it. What do you think? I would think you would have to. Yeah. Or it, if you didn't have it, then COVID's a hoax. If you did have it, COVID's real and we can all believe in it. So wait, back to your genital focused anxiety because I can't stop thinking about it now. Like how freaked out were you that you had an STD? Like who did you tell anybody? Did you keep it inside? Just like to even go and get tested, I guess is. Do I seem like a person who wouldn't tell it to everyone I saw? <laughs> All my friends knew. I was telling people on the street. If I went to Tim Hortons, I'd tell them, yes. What, what would your friends say? They would just tell me I'm crazy. Oh, don't worry. You know, you're overthinking it. But it didn't help. And then I, it just, I spiraled out of control and it was on my mind for a long time. But did it ever go back to that? So it's like, great, you got tested that one time and you felt in the clear. But then did that ever come back again? I've been tested lots of times. So would you say that you have recurring genital focused anxiety? It lessens each time I get tested, like or if I got tested. When do you when did that start for you that you started having that kind of anxiety? <clears throat> I think when I started being sexually active cuz I was a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know, I just thought, oh man. But like did you like growing up, I mean like did you ever have like a like genital focused anxiety in like other ways like What's it doing or why does it look like, you know what I mean? Like, did you have any other preoccupations like that? This is a weird line of questioning, Alex. No. Sorry. No, it's just interesting to me. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like what? Like what? I've never no. No, because I just wanted to know if like it's like a recurring thing that some people are more susceptible to or like prone to. I think anyone who is anxiety ridden is more mm -hmm. prone to anxiety ridden things well 
you know, when it comes to anxiety, you handled the COVID because you are the one that had the positive COVID diagnosis. You handled that, I think, very well. You Common, didn't seem- I think a myth about people who have anxiety is that they can't handle tough situations. People with anxiety handle tough situations better than people without anxiety. Mm-hmm. All we're doing is constantly preparing for the worst case scenarios. So when it happens, I'm uniquely prepared for everything. I was uniquely prepared for the pandemic. World War III happening. I am calm as a cucumber. <laughs> I'm not worried about things that would worry someone like you. You are the one who freaks out in those situations. But I, I am the calm one in the family. Yes. I'm yes. freaking out when things don't need to be freaked out. Yes. On. But I also think that you had to step up on me for the whole COVID thing for to be calm because you had the diagnosis. You're like, this explains why I'm feeling like <laughs> you this. Had. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have the diagnosis. I was coming up negative. I'm still coming up negative. And it's eight we were days making later. out and stuff. In stuff. I know. And it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So to be feeling the way I did and to not have the positive rapid test was so confusing and concerning. Like, I just wanted an answer. I wanted a clear answer and something that made sense. Yeah. Sometimes COVID doesn't make sense. Clearly. But it's about making change. Can we move on? <laughs> What's your other topic? All right. So my other topic is uh, we did the big kid bed transition last night. Yesterday was night one. Today's night two. Lucy, at almost four years old, let the record show because I think she's the oldest kid ever to still be in a crib when she didn't need to be. She has finally moved on to a big kid bed. So she came to Shane and I last week and said, she just kept dropping in. She goes, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for a bed now i, I think quite I'm- the hint she's <laughs> dropping hints like could i have a bed please where's the bed at why do you keep me in the crib <laughs> telling us explicitly <laughs> so that weekend we went to ikea we got her a new bed i made the bed while shane cooked dinner how about that for you know gender switcheroo rolls well throwing pizza pockets in a microwave <laughs> isn't exactly the ultimate home keeper or whatever <laughs> but anyway I think it went pretty well. Yeah, they tasted good. They weren't burnt. (laughs) Oh, the bed. Yes, the bed was good. (laughs) But she was really cute last night. um, And I've been thinking about it a lot. So her first night with freedom, right? Because she can get in and out of the bed. So she knows that we can communicate through the baby monitor. How much freedom is there really if we're monitoring her all night and we can (laughs) communicate through an intercom system if she steps out of line? Perceived freedom. But she kept... Within, you know, minutes of going down to bedtime, she kept coming right into the monitor, just like shoving her face in the monitor and, hey, mom, daddy, mommy, daddy. We go, hi, Lucy. And then just telling us things to prolong the bedtime. And I don't know if it's because she was nervous about the freedom and about the more the more oh, space. Yeah. Do you of think course. she was scared? She was terrified out of her mind. She was happy and excited, mm-hmm. but with excitement comes, you know, a little bit of fear and anxiety too. So she couldn't believe it. She's like, I asked for this. Now it's come. I'm all alone. This is big. What do I do? How do I act? How do mm-hmm. how do big kids act? Do I go straight to bed? Playing with her stuffed animals is a little bit different. She was concerned about messing the bed up. Falling out of the bed was a concern. She did a practice fall out of the bed (laughs) because she wanted to see what it would be like, what the height disparity would be like to fall out of the bed. It was cute. Then she got into the real, um, you know, existential questions. Why am I growing? Why do kids grow? Why does God make me the way he made me? Like all over the monitor. It was really cute and also just exhausting. But- 
the more I thought about it today, I can relate so hard to that feeling, like even as an adult. And I think of when you and I first moved in to this house, our first house too, but this house just being a little bit bigger and having like moving into the house with a kid. I remember the first time that you were gone for the night and it was just Lucy and I in the house. And it was like, this is the house I wanted. It's my dream house. I was so happy to be here. But then the second it was just me essentially alone as the only adult, I was freaking terrified. I wanted to pick up my things and go sleep at my parents' house for the night. You're still like that. <laughs> That's why I can relate to Lucy. It is scary. It is scary. And I, I want to know. And like for me, I mean... Lucy just goes to sleep. It takes me hours to go to sleep if I'm alone. And I can't sleep unless I have a knife under my pillow legitimately. Like I need to sleep with some kind of weapon to be careful get the with bad the old, guys. Be careful with the old knife under the pillow trick, by the way. Uh, what could go wrong with that? Well, the knife could go through your ear and no, into I, your brain. Yeah. I was joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> but is there any situation in which you feel like you could relate uh, to Lucy? Because you're not like freaked out sleeping at home alone, like if you're the only adult. So what, what would I your situation get that be? Way. I can get very existential. I can get scared of just the reality of being alive. If you think about that too much. Scary. That can blow your mind. I'm the type, if I look up at the stars, I start blowing my own mind and getting feeling very small and very... I don't know, disassociated or whatever. And Shane's not even a pot guy. No, I wish I was. I try to smoke <laughs> it, but I can't. Can't handle any substance, really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 I think Lucy is more anxiety prone than probably your average kid. And I think she gets that from me. So I relate to her a lot on that. Yeah. She likes to think about all the things that could go wrong instead of all the things that could go right. And I tend to do that. I think Betty's the opposite. I know she can't talk yeah. or express herself, but she just is so um, balls to the wall crazy that I, I really feel like she throws caution to the wind and just goes for it. Like, I, I, I feel like Betty is not cautious, not too worked up in her brain. Do you get no. that vibe? Yeah, she's more like trial and error type mm. where Lou, like when Lou was a baby, I couldn't even throw her up in the air, like very young, when babies don't even know about gravity, really. <laughs> Lou would just grab me and get scared or pretend to like it and get a worried look. Her eyes would fill up with tears. Whereas Betty liked to be chucked really high and, you know, she's more fearless. And like even to illustrate just my last kind of analogy uh, to show, as an almost four-year-old, Lucy still hates to be pushed in not even the regular swing, but the kitty swing. And we have a kitty swing that like fully locks her in like shoulder straps, chest straps. It's like a five point harness. If you push her higher than like six inches off the ground, she freaks out. Yeah. Freaks out. Anyway, Shane, do you have any topics or should we get to Queen Essie? I have, let's think of a topic here. Okay. What? Why you? Why you make a frowny? You don't oh, want I'm to talk. No, I'm, I'm not trying to frown at you. This is just my resting frowny face. <laughs> no, you're giving me a vibe. No, I'm picking my, my lip. I've, I've, my lips are dry. Okay. Leave me alone. I got a topic. What? I want you to take the bull by the horns. Oh. This is like a challenge and topic. Okay. Okay. Let's give you a, a date, like two weeks from now. Oh. You don't even know what it is. It's work. Theme song. <laughs> I want you to pretend okay. you're me. 
Okay. And act like you need to change the theme song to the show. Yeah. You can message people. We know Anthony, Tony from the Arkells. You can message him. You can message anyone. You can find a track that you really like. Reach out. What? I know what I need to do. Yes. I know step one. You need to give me our opening. Okay. So that I have the audio and then I can play around with things on my phone. And then when I have examples, I can send them to Tony. Okay. So I just need the audio so I could hear what it might sound like. But keep in mind, you need to pay people and you need to negotiate all that stuff. Well, I won't do any negotiating, but I will, you know, force myself to be okay with delegating things and paying money, even though I'm a cheapskate. You are. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You're a generous personality, but not necessarily a tipper. I've caught you many a a time. A tipper, Shane? Alex, how many times have I caught you on Uber Eats? I do 18 and then you tell me to do 20. I was doing 18. We made a rule 20 or nothing. I know, but being doing 18 isn't cheapskate territory. It's It's, maybe frugal territory. It's adjacent. (laughs) You have the means. Uh, Okay. Yeah, that was All my right. topic. Could you accept the challenge? I accept it. Give me the give me the stuff for tomorrow and I'll work on it on my lunch. That's a fun little project. No, no. What? What what do you mean? Can't you just send it to, to Oh, you mean without existing audio embedded in? Yeah, yeah, I just want our opening to the podcast so then I could play around with different tunes and see how they feel. Gotcha. I got to get the vibe right. So, everyone look forward to that new branding. Yeah, but let's get into this interview. No, we need to tell people who we're supported by first. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make, I'm telling you, the best basics for your littles, like fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And they're making clothing for women now too, aren't they? We have just started. I'm saying we as if I'm involved in Mini Miyash. I'm not. It's just the Royal Week because I'm so pumped. But they have just come out with their women's collection. So it is a small capsule collection. But again, the most comfortable, soft, ethical, and sustainable clothes made from French terry. Everything is simple. And just like the best basics that you want to have in your closet to wear every day. Got to get your hands on it. It's got to expand to men soon, though. I think I think that's the plan, yeah. Shane. I think that's the plan. I truly hope they do. And then the whole family can just be rocking out in organic cotton fabrics that are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. It's an acronym that you don't even need to bother looking up because it just <laughs> sounds like really good, right? Mini Miage is amazing. Um, I love that their mission is to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiage.com or at Mini Miage on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTreat15, you're getting 15% off your order. This promo code is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiage.com and ThisFamilyTreat15. And now let's get to our interview with Queen Essie. Queen Essie, I am so happy to have you tonight with me on this Family Tree podcast. I have been following you for a while and I've been dying to speak with you. I absolutely love your account, love what you stand for. You are an artist and a body hair activist. And I would love to just jump right into that, into your, first of all, the origin story. Because 
you know, we all we all grow body hair. I grow body hair. I grow armpit hair. I grow leg hair. I have one hair under my chin that I started growing since pregnancy for some reason. But you have a different history with body hair. And I want to know, like, from what age is it something that you have been dealing with, something that's been a part of you? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I, I've i been hairy, like, since I was, like, 11, 12. Because I remember, because the last time I actually remember, you know, seeing my body hair was when I was, like, uh, in sixth grade. So it was, like, for my graduation, like, my elementary school graduation. And I remember having hair on my chest and uh, having to, like, remove it mm-hmm. uh, to wear this uh, V-neck dress, you know? So uh, that, that's when I first remember seeing it. But when it really became an issue, it was still, like, in the same grade where I kind of, like, I, I, I remember also I was growing, like, uh, hair on my stomach and uh, I was like pulling out my pants and then my friends saw the hair on my stomach and they had this really exaggerated reaction. Like they all gasped. And that's when I knew like, Oh, am I not supposed to <laughs> have hair there or something? You know? And so um, I guess that's kind of where it started really the negative um, ideas around body mm-hmm. hair for me. And then obviously just growing up and like seeing reactions and also TV. (laughs) So that's really where it all started. But uh, wait, do you want me to tell you like how I became a body activist or like? Queen Essie, I want to hear it all. I want to hear it all. And I I actually, I was curious about when you were younger, because I know there was a girl that I went to elementary school with and I'm I'm not going to say her name. And she was a really sweet girl. She was a new kid. She only came for like a year and she had a lot of body hair and she was a darker skinned girl. She just had hair different like everybody I went to elementary school with was like Italian so I mean hairy for white people I guess but it's different and you know this girl was she was so nice and I remember my parents when I was young going out of their way to just ensure that because she was a new kid I was including her in things but she faced a lot of bullying at my school I remember some boys uh they put a razor on her desk one morning and she was mortified and I was mortified and it, it like it was horrific um I don't know how it was dealt with by the teacher like I was pretty young so I I wasn't really in tune to what was going on but she wasn't at my school for very long and uh it, it it's awful like thinking back on that is so awful and like I, I hope she I hope she's you know a fan of yours at this point but I don't know how she progressed and how her relationship with herself in that way has progressed. And I was curious, did you, like you said, your friends had like a shocked kind of reaction and that is what led you on to think, oh, okay, so maybe this isn't, you know, the case for everybody. Did you deal with any, any kids? Cause kids can be, kids can be awful and they're just learning, but still. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, being in high school, it's always like the toughest moments of our lives. Yeah. And I knew that in order to not get bullied, I had to make sure that I was always covering these parts of me. So because like in elementary school, the reaction from my friends and then going to high school and seeing like girls that, were, that had a lot of hair on their arms, like I have hair on my arms. So some girls had like, there was one particular girl, I don't know where she's from exactly, but she has very, she had like really dark black hair. And I remember people making fun of her and just these moments. I'm like, when I saw other people getting made fun of, I knew that I had to make, like, I had to do 
anything in my power to make sure that no one could see my hair. And that would, that basically meant I wasn't going to go swimming. If somebody asked me to go swimming, I wasn't going to do that because I knew it was going to be a long process and I didn't want to go through that. And then, then, and then like get ingrown hair and like bumps and scars. So I knew there's some activities I couldn't do. I knew that I couldn't wear certain clothes, like, especially like, like obviously right now I'm wearing a V-neck top, you know, but I couldn't wear this. So I had to like basically like, really shop in a way that would cover my chest hair especially mm-hmm. because that was a very sensitive area of my body so if I removed the hair there I would get yeah. a lot of like you know ingrown hair a lot of like bumps and, and it was really really bad and so I had to always make sure that that part was covered up I remember one time in high school where um I was wearing a top that was a bit too cut <laughs> so um we could see my chest hair a bit if you were only standing and I remember just like being in art class and a friend of mine which was a guy was standing and he kind of saw there was hair on my chest and I saw he looked there and I remember that moment I was so scared I was like I hope he's not gonna like call me out and say that in front of the class but I remember all he did was hey do you guys think it exists a girl with like chest hair and I knew he was talking about me and I just kept quiet I was like I was hoping this would just pass away and then I remember when my friends beside me was like no that doesn't exist that doesn't exist and he was like okay and that's it he didn't say oh Esther has you know uh hair on her chest or something like that he didn't say that and I was like really thankful in that mm-hmm. moment but I knew in that moment it was like so so close like so so close if he had mentioned my name I don't know what would happen you know but another moment in high school is when like I used to have more hair on my like I used to have sideburns and I had like one like one sideburn we could say because I had more hair on one side of my face and so uh usually I always removed it and then I I was just tired I was like oh you know what I'm just tired of always having to cut them so I just let it grow and then I I, some of my friends in class like one friend was like oh my gosh Esther has the you know she has the sideburns and then everyone was like what what they came to look and I was just like why why would she do that to me and so because Mm -hmm. of that I started removing it again and so it's these moments where you don't want to be like the center of attention Mm -hmm. and especially I was so so shy in high school so so insecure you know I hated my body I hated myself and like I was so uncomfortable in my skin and so having these moments like that like I didn't want to be the center of attention I didn't want to you know be teased Mm -hmm. uh, on my appearance and so I had to like conform and like because people were were pointing it out I had to make sure that no one would see it and so it became a huge burden because like at that point none of my friends knew I was that hairy I made sure that none of my friends most of my family didn't even know it's probably like really close like my mom knew my aunts and maybe like my sister I'm not even sure that I actually had showed her that I had chest hair right Mm -hmm. and so I was really like hiding this from everyone and not just because like I felt like it but because also I was ashamed you know and I didn't know how to deal with that and I was just praying and hoping that God would like remove it and like make a miracle you know because like my sister is not as hairy as I am it's almost like if I was chosen (laughs) you know and so it really sucked and and so yeah so when I got to college I was still like kind of thinking about that and and it's weird because I'm an artist and like I'm a painter and like because I've been, I've been like painting since I was 12. Like I've always been in like an art program and everything. And so when I got to college, there was a moment where I felt this really strong urge to paint what I was going through. And Mm -hmm. and I kind of created this painting that was like a portrait of myself with like a flower coming out of my back, like violently, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of see this pain in my face and I really want to express that. And so I called it, you must suffer to be beautiful. Cause like, Mm -hmm. it was a sentence, but like, cause here I live in Quebec, so we speak French and like, and what my 
my mom and my aunt used to say is if we better, which basically means like beauty is pain or you must suffer to be beautiful. And so it was something that really was ingrained in me. And I really hated the fact that I had to go through pain, wax or just emotional pain to, you know, be perfect or to look perfect. Right. And so in that moment, I had this strong feeling of painting that. And so I, I kind of like realized that's, that's really when I realized that I there was something in me that wanted to really speak out on what I was going through, but I didn't know how. And so for me, being able to show it in a visual way Mm -hmm. without having to really express like, this is about me. And like, this is what I'm going through because it was so, you know, it was so difficult for me to express that. And so I was able to express it through painting. And so when I, you know, finished with college and I went to uni and I was still, you know, I was still, you know, thinking about it, thinking about my body and thinking about like, you know, why, you know, actually, I was just getting tired. I was getting to a Mm -hmm. point where I was tired of hating myself, tired of wanting to pray to to be normal, quote unquote. And so that's kind of like when I started really to think about why I was shaving and like, you know, why, why was I doing all this? Why was I going through that pain? Because like, that's really when I started realizing that the more I was shaving, the more I was getting like, more hair was growing, the darker it was, the longer it was, the, the thicker it was. And I really started realizing this when I, I tested it. Cause I was like, is that, is it, is it just me? Am I going crazy? <laughs> so I really removed a certain part, like a part of my hair on my stomach. And I realized when it grew back, it grew back darker. And I was right. like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Now it's going crazy. I thought like, oh my gosh, if I keep going, it's going to be everywhere at this point. And it's like, I'm already really hairy. And I was getting really scared. I was like, that, that's, I, I have to stop. And so uh, I remember like getting like really a lot of like uh, at some point, I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but I started getting like um, ingrown hair on my mm-hmm. face and like, usually I didn't. And so my mom was like panicking. She's like, no, not on your face. <laughs> and so she brought me to the esthetician. And that's when I started doing the electrolysis on my face. And now I have like less wow. hair. I still have oh, yeah. like the group back, but I don't have as much as I used to. Um, but then I started doing electrolysis on my, on my chest as well. And I wasn't removing all of it. I was just removing a portion because like when I used to wear like crop tops, like we would see the hair and I didn't want people to see it, of course. And so uh, I removed a portion. And so I remember being there at the esthetician. Of course, it's painful, (laughs) like doing electrolysis and burns. It's a horrible feeling. I remember when she would ask me all the time, like, do you, are you sure you don't want to move it completely? Do you want to like just completely remove it? You know, let's go lower. And I was like, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because at some point when I decided, you know what, I'm tired of removing my body hair, having to shave. And, and because I'm in Canada and we have winter, it's an incredible season because I don't have to shave. <laughs> it's almost more practical. You know, you know, I don't have to. It's like during summertime, it's like, okay, you have to shave because you want to wear like short shorts and blah, 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 you know. But like during the winter, I really got to to look at myself. And and th- there was a moment where for me, that's it's really afterwards that I kind of realized this. But like every time I saw myself naked, I would be so sad. Like I would oh, be so sad because I would see myself and all that hair and I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Cause like when, when I'm covered up, it's like, if I would forget that I was hairy, but mm-hmm. then when I got naked and I was in front of the mirror and I had to take a shower, I would see all that hair that was just part of me. And I was just like, so annoyed and so mad and, and just like so sad. And I would start crying every time I would look at myself. And so at a certain point when I was like, okay, like I'm really tired. I have to stop removing the hair because it's like, I'm getting more. Um, I just started looking at myself in the mirror and just looking at my body. 
not without crying, without being sad and just looking at it and being like, you know, I guess this is your body. You can't do anything about it because if you remove, you're going to get more. And I started really using the techniques that my mom used to like teach me and my sister because like growing up, my mom used to take me and my sister and bring us in front of the mirror and say like, like make us repeat like I'm beautiful I'm smart and those are things that I didn't believe at the time and I kind of like growing up I kind of realized the power of these words and being positive and like speaking you know positivity on yourself and like affirmations exactly Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that power and then I really started like thinking like am I gonna stay in this dark place and hate myself forever or am I gonna like you know take these techniques and really start building myself up and so that's really when like you know, in university, I was like, okay, I'm going to start complimenting myself. I'm going to start like embracing myself, you know, and because I don't want to hate myself forever, you know? And so like, at that point, I kind of looked at myself and like, when I would actually try to remove my chest hair completely, it's, and I, and became, I kind of became, I guess, normal, quote unquote. And I looked at myself and I was like, okay, now I'm normal. Now I'm not, you know, the girl with chest hair. And in a weird way, it's like because I was looking at myself and, and accepting, trying to accept the, the fact that I was just hairy, removing my hair made me feel like I would lose the part of myself. And so that's when things started to change for me, like mentally. I was like, okay, does that mean that I feel like my chest hair is part of me, you know? And so, yeah, so then in 2019, I kind of like realized, you know what? I started talking with my mom and I'm, I was like, mom, I'm really tired of removing my chest hair. I'm tired of remo- removing my body hair and everything. And she was like, okay, whatever you do, I'm with you. You know, you know, more women are accepting themselves, you know, like <laughs> Ashley Graham, you know, accepting their body and like body positivity is the new thing. You know, if you want to, you know, accept yourself and like, just stop shaving, that's fine. I- I'm with you. And I was like, okay. And I was like, still thinking about it, still thinking about it. And then like, when it was like really the summer of 2019, that's when I was like, okay, you know what? I'm tired. I'm just tired of removing it. Finally, I'm done with it. I embrace myself. I feel comfortable in it. I feel like my chest is part of me and I don't feel like I want to be ashamed anymore of it. And so once again, um, because I'm an artist, I knew that I could express that through art. I could liberate myself in a sense because every time I painted something that I was going through, there was like a weight that was lifted every time because I was like, I could, I, could I, I didn't have the words to speak it, but the painting spoke for me and it, it was like, it felt like almost healing, you know, right. it felt like I was healing myself by creating arts. So yeah, so yeah, so I decided to create a project called The Lavender Project. And that's when I um, showed my chest hair for the first time, I made this dress, uh, this lavender dress. And yeah, I took pictures of myself. I went to a park near my house. And that was like a park that I used to go often and like, walk around, take a, you know, take a deep breath of fresh air and all that <laughs> stuff. And so I was like, this is perfect. And, and for me, nature, I like to compare it to body hair, because obviously, like trees and plants are like, almost like the body hair of yeah. the planet, you know, and so I feel like our bodies are also like an environment of its own. And so body hair is like, part of our environments and so um I decided to to take these pictures and and to uh post them on social media and the thing about posting them on social media is because I didn't want to have to you know contact every family member every friend <laughs> hey I have chest hair by the way and now I accept it like I didn't want to do that like mm-hmm. I didn't want to go through that and see all their expression all yeah. their questions and I was like you know what social media is the best place to just put the project out there let people you know read about my project and look at the pictures and and let that sink in and really question 
what they think is beauty and feminine. And that's really what I wanted to, you know, do through this project, talk about, you know, like femininity, what does it mean to, to, you know, to be feminine? Because, you know, if as women, we have body hair and it's seen as masculine, how does that make sense of all women? You know, we grow body hair and some grow more than others. And so through that project, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a discussion around that. And so, yeah. And after that, that's really when I stopped removing my chest hair, but then in 2020, uh, during like, um, the body hair movement, because we have a body hair movement here in Montreal called Mipoil. There's also one in the UK, January. And so um, I G- G- Sorry, with- did you say January? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's ha- <laughs> it happens in January. And I've collabed with them before as well. And so in May for Mipoil, uh, I decided to collaborate with them and like do a photo shoot. And I basically challenged myself to just stop shaving my legs and to just go out with that, like just to go out, wear short shorts, wear skirts and and go for it. And that was really, really scary at first, but I, I knew that like, <laughs> I was like, I knew I could do this. You know, I was like, I think I could do this, you know, uh, at least if I do it one time, if I push myself and I don't like it, I could just like, just mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. you know and so I did that and I was like I felt so comfortable I felt so free and I was like oh my gosh this is this is an incredible feeling <laughs> like you know because I felt like as women we don't have that option to actually you know just decide to go out with our body hair and I didn't feel like I had anyone to look up to and so I just did it because I was like you know what I'm tired and I want to be able to feel comfortable in my body without mm-hmm. having to like hide it all the time you know and so by doing that I guess my projects and everything like seeing people's reactions women from like different parts of the world contacting me letting me know that they thought they were alone or that they also have chest hair and so seeing those reactions and how much I had helped them through my projects I I felt like you know (laughs) what I was doing became bigger than me and so I became I guess a body hair activist and that's it's someone on social media that called me that I didn't even know it was a thing before (laughs) and and someone said oh my gosh you're a body hair activist and I was like what is that and so I looked at them and I was like I guess that's what I am now (laughs) I was like I was like I really because because my mission is really to normalize that you Mm -hmm. know because because we we have body hair yeah. and the fact that a lot of people don't even know this and a lot other women don't know this and men don't know this and, mm-hmm. and it's just like kind of understanding that beauty standards like change over the years and based on uh capital capitalism you know and, and just based on like what companies you know what what new myths they're creating to make sure that women we feel uncomfortable and insecure yes. about uh, different parts of our bodies that are completely natural in order for them to, you know, make money and profit off of our bodies. It's bullshit. And so, the, the yeah, be- exactly. and I, we're, we're going to get into that about the bullshit beauty industry because it is so infuriating to me. And my listeners know that because I've been kind of railing against them for a while as I've been having my own realizations about it. And I, I do want to touch on that after, but have to state it's bullshit. Yes, of course. And so with all that, I knew that I had to keep going and to kind of like show women that you have that option. You can embrace yourself, even though, you know, you don't see any possibility of doing so. And and also, like, I feel like traveling is so important. I didn't know it was so important until I traveled. Right. And so, like, I went to like Haiti for the first time because I'm half Haitian and Ivorian. And so going to Haiti 
And seeing that, you know, I had an aunt that had a mustache and that was not seen as a problem. And I had, and I saw so many women that were not shaving their armpits. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Are you serious? When I went there and I saw that women, a lot of women weren't shaving their armpits and they were relaxing, just talking and no one was making this disgusted face. Or I was like, wait a minute, I can, and I can just, if I feel like not like shaving my armpits, I could do that. And I just was like, yes. And I was just going around Haiti with like unshaved armpits, you know? And I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> you know, no one's going to judge me, you know? And, and it's really that to like, as a body hair artist, is to really like remove that shame. And, and because like, it's this propaganda at the end of the day. And like, most people don't even understand, like, if you have to ask them, why is it okay like, why is it not okay on a woman's body, but okay on a man? They're, they don't even know themselves. They have no idea where these ideas come from. And so it's just like, oh my gosh. Well, they, <laughs> you know? they, come from, they come from men trying to dictate women's beauty standards based on something that one guy thought appealing and then decided that, you know, the whole porn industry or the whole beauty industry in this regard would have women that looked like this. And then it became so normalized. And then it became ingrained in women and in men that women should look like that. And like women at the turn of the century, nobody shaved their armpits or their legs. It's, I mean, you, you look at like old movies from the 20s and women all have like full bush armpits, like totally. And like I think about when I was like growing up in high school and guys were, you know, had like pinups in their lockers and things they were women who were totally hairless and you know mm -hmm. like the big boob implants that that very mm -hmm. it's it's a look it's like a 90s 2000s look and that's who dictates it and then when everybody starts thinking wait why do we think this way why do we think this way it's because of that industry right but yeah it's i think you even said when your friend kind of noticed your chest hair in high school and then asked the group of friends without calling you out and he was like oh like girls do they have chest hair he was genuinely curious and it's like yeah some do some have facial hair we all have leg hair we all have pubic hair we all have armpit hair and it's just people I think are curious and it's like you even before you went to Haiti, right? You're like, is this normal? Like, do people wear this? And then you're seeing it for the first time and I think it highlights the importance of just seeing things, of representation, of not being scared to talk about certain things, not being scared to show up as we are mm -hmm. for certain things. And I, I think that's such an important point, just the representation of it. Exactly. And I think that why I kind of like chose photography as a medium, but also like, I, I also paint like hairy women as well. And I think that, like you said, representation is so important because the reason why I felt so odd is because yeah. I didn't see a woman that looked like me anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so um, I also understood how photography was used to, you know, propagate these ideas of the ideal woman and how you need to look like, you know, and so kind of like by default, when you don't see yourself, you think that you're ugly, right? No mm -hmm. one has to tell you. It's just you are ugly if you don't look like this. Yes. And so I understood that through photography, I could also change the narrative around, you know, beauty and like body hair. And by creating, I guess by posing 
in a beautiful way, I guess, like, like a model, because I, I also modeled, but like, like a model, but also like wearing whatever you want and like a dress, a skirt and having body hair. I think those are important things because oftentimes we want to hide that, but you could also wear a skirt, you could wear a dress and have your body hair showing. And it's not something you should be ashamed of. And like sh- changing that narrative, showing that you could feel beautiful with your body hair is something I wa- I knew that photography could really easily push that message (laughs) you know by seeing a woman who has body hair you're obviously like oh my gosh wait a second you know people have told me like oh my gosh you're so pretty I didn't even notice you had chest hair like until I really looked like oh my gosh yes you're thinking like wait she's pretty and she has chest hair yes you can be beautiful and have chest hair you can embrace that and not feel like you you're a you know, a free quote unquote, mm. because that's what people have shared that with me that they felt that way. And so by because they were hairy. And so using, you know, these words. Mm-hmm. So um, understanding that like beauty, obviously, is, is a concept created on mm-hmm. based on, you know, different societies, like you could go different places around the world, and it's different, you know, standards. And so for me, it was like, really, really important to to show that representation mm-hmm. to I guess by using myself, because I, I couldn't use anyone else because I'm the hairiest <laughs> woman in this house, right? So, so, so yeah, um, I think that um, it became almost vulnerable, but it became important because I saw that so many, like, so many people had shared videos with me and images of their body hair showing me, mm-hmm. you know, over time, like, they've worked on themselves. And because of my images, they feel comfortable now going out with their body hair. And I was like, wow, it has, like... I'm actually helping people. And that's when I knew like, I couldn't stop anymore. (laughs) The train has started. So you just go, I can't stop the train anymore. (laughs) But like, obviously it's a positive effect. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very glad that I get to do that. And and so in 2020, after obviously uh, I was contacted by Glamour UK and then I, I, I was on the cover of Glamour UK. And so one of like the 11 inspiring, you know, people. And so... In that moment, my aunt from Ivory Coast contacted me to tell me that it was, you know, really normal that I had chest hair and I was this hairy and that it comes from like my dad's side of the family, that women are very hairy. And in our tribe, which is called Wei, um, the women have a lot of body hair. And back in the day, like in my great grandmother's time, it was seen as something beautiful. And so that really, really stuck with me. I was like, I wish I knew this knowledge before because I was thinking something was wrong with me, you know, and then I didn't want to look like that. But then now I found I find out that like it's part of me, it's part of my ancestors and it's totally normal that I have a lot of body hair like that. And so, uh, oh, gosh, no. I wish I knew that before, but it's never too late. You yeah, know? no. And I, I want to ask about that because, you know, our grandparents, our mothers, like I, I got a lot of beauty ideals from the women in my family. Right. As a lot of people do. And their ideals can be so different and whether they can help us positively like your aunt did eventually or negatively. Like my family is Russian, Polish, and they were always very concerned about weight. Mm. So the second you started gaining a little bit weight, you know, my grandmother would go and she'd start pinching your stomach and she'd go, oh, you gain a little bit, Mm. you gain. And then she'd go, you need to start drinking vinegar. And she'd tell us to drink vinegar and to eat certain things to lose weight. And it's wild. This is like as like 12 year olds, right? And she means well. She wants us to be happy. But in her mind, it's happiness is fitting in with that specific standard. 
right? And and because ideals change, it can be really difficult, I think, for older generations of women to identify and to help us be the happiest versions of ourselves. And I'm curious about what that support system, if you had it, looked when you were younger. Like, what were the women in your family who knew you had chest hair, like your mom or any aunts or anything, were they like, okay, we got to get rid of that because we want you to be happy and fitting in now? Because ultimately, I think when everybody's young, they just want to fit in. Or were they, you know, more encouraging? You said your mom would take you in front of the mirror every day and have you repeat these like really beautiful self-affirmations. So I'm curious too, as a parent, because I've got two little girls and this is what really started getting me hating on the beauty industry and everything and filters and everything. And I've sworn everything off um, as just a personal challenge because I want to be able to get through life without adhering to certain things and succumbing to feeling bad about myself. I I mean, I do every day (laughs) in some way, but I want to try so that it doesn't take me over because I'm like, I don't want my kids to feel like they need to change things about themselves. And the only way I can do that is by living that. And I'm always curious, you know, if if somebody like you in your position with your really beautiful, unique story, what your mother or family members did that was helpful, what they could have done to be more helpful, because as a parent, like I, I'd like to learn, you know, what I can do for my kids. Of course. My mother, like, like, like we said, bringing me in front of the mirror. Um, my mother is a, a person that's extremely confident in herself. And I always aspired to be like her because I saw that confidence that she had, the way she walked. She was always, you know, always looking good and be like, yeah, that's how you should walk. And, you know, <laughs> my grandma is exactly the same. And awesome. so I, so for me, I always wanted to be a confident woman, though I was born into a society where as a woman, I had to remove my body hair and my mother, too. And so she just shared that knowledge with me. She just told me that's that's what how it is. And. I just did it. That was it. I have hair and I have to remove it. And that was it. We never asked questions about that. It's really later on in life that I was like, you know what, mom, I'm tired of removing my body hair, you know? <laughs> and so, yes, my mom had already shared like, oh, I have hair there too. And, and things like that. But she would also remove it. So we're, you know, every, every woman in the house was removing, you know, the <laughs> body hair. Um, but a, a thing that you were saying about like your, your family and everything about weight and things like that, I think that for me uh, growing up, because like, obviously I I live in a white society and like the ideal is skinny, you know, skinny white girl, you know, and though I kind of fit a bit because I'm skinny. um, The thing about like in my community, I was, I'm just not the standard because uh, it's, it's women that have a, are are curvier that are, that are that weigh a little bit more. And so I was like, my family would always complain about my weight, you know? Uh, And so they would always say like, oh, you're too skinny. They will always judge me for the way I looked. So I never felt like I fit in any standard, <laughs> you know? And and so, uh, because I was hairy, but also because I was too skinny, according to my family members, I guess my grandma, you know, and my Haitian side of the family. So that's, that's, that's how it was. So that's I feel tough. like things that, that uh, I think um, as a parent that I guess you could do, or like one day I'll be a parent too, because I want to have kids. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's a really stop like judging your kids allow them to be themselves and like to to embrace however they look like and not to judge their weight and their Mm -hmm. appearance 
it's ridiculous. It's important, to, of course, to, to be healthy and to be active, you know, growing up. And I, I wish I still had gym class, you know, <laughs> because now I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm not doing any exercise, but, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, just it's important to also be active, but also to to guide them in their passions, because for me, art was my passion. My parents saw this. And so because they saw this, they put me into, you know, visual arts. And so I got to, you know, flourish in that, uh, you know, that space. So really, I think that to have incredibly supportive parents, and even when I decided to be a body activist, my parents were extremely supportive. And so I think that's that's really how a person can really flourish and become the best version of themselves. And I think that's the best thing a parent can really do is to guide you to become the best version of yourself, but also to to talk a lot with with your children. I think that my mom does that still does but <laughs> also ask us, how are you doing how's your day every single day and it can be annoying but it's it has a purpose because at some point if your mom doesn't ask you that you're like does she yes. not care about me I <laughs> see. if if I don't hear from my parents by like noon I call them and I'm like mom are you mad at me like you haven't it's past 7 a.m you haven't called me yet I'm the same way <laughs> exactly so it's so important to, to be involved in your mm-hmm. children's lives and to like, cause I, cause to me, my mom was like my safe place because if I was feeling really depressed or down and she, she was the place where I would go to, like, I would come to you and, and share the, and share like everything that I was going through and she would always help me uh, and talk with me. Cause it's so important to have a parent that's, or, or both parents, cause my, both my parents were there, but my mom was really like the person I would share every, everything with. And so it's so important to have a parent that's there. And so also understanding that bodies, all bodies are different and just like body hair is part of our diversity. Like for me, like people in my tribe are hairier than others. And like, you know, some people might say Indian women are hairy. That's what I've been hearing. (laughs) So there's different parts of the world. People are hairier than others. And so that should be something that's also part of our diversity. And so it shouldn't be something that we're afraid of or ashamed of, but also to and to to kind of like allow your child also to to be free but when i say be free is to be able to question things mm, to, to, to really share knowledge with them and to allow them to, to allow them the space to also question the knowledge that you're sharing so they can have discussions and understand where this comes from and because like for me i didn't know where these ideas came from and they became something that was like really oppressing me right growing up and so having these discussions are so important. And so I think that to also, well, another thing for me was to really see images of people that look more like me. Uh, For example, like, because I was so insecure about my weight, because as a black woman, I'm supposed to be curvy. I'm supposed to have bigger boobs, bigger butt, you know? And so seeing, like following women that did not look like me impacted my, you know, my self-confidence even more like negatively. I felt like, okay, I have to do, a million squats to get my butt <laughs> to be gigantic or something like that. Right. Yeah. But then I started realizing that the, the negative effects it had on me. And so I really started being selective of, you know, who I was following. And so I started following girls that were black like me, but also skinny and that felt confident in their body. And I was like, Oh my gosh, how are they confident in their appearance? I feel so insecure in, in my physique. Right. And so seeing a, a woman who's confident in her appearance made me feel more comfortable because as black women, we all know that the ideal in our community is really the curvy girl. And if we don't fit it, we, by default, we're, we don't feel desirable and we don't feel like we, we can get anyone or be with anyone. Right. And so by seeing other women that were embracing their bodies and didn't feel any type of shame, 
I was like, okay, that really inspired me to also feel comfortable in my physique. And so understanding there's different ty- different body ties, different hair colors. People are just made differently. Everyone's yeah, just, you know, all colors <laughs> and things like that. All right, Queen Essie, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the nursing bra that you want. I'm telling you, they are practical, easy, and so buttery soft and comfortable on your nipples, which is incredibly important. Shane, do you remember what I was like when I was breastfeeding either one of our kids in that first month? Oh, when you didn't have buttery soft fabric on your nipples? (laughs) I'd rather not remember that time period. No, I was in literally an agonizing pain. It was really difficult. And even with my second child, breastfeeding was really difficult and painful. I have an imitation of Alex during that time period. What? It's pretty accurate. But the only thing that I'd honestly wear would be a Bravado Designs bra because it was so comfortable. And then again, it was easy to breastfeed. It just kind of did everything I needed it to. And now that I'm coming to the end of my breastfeeding journey with Betty, I'm so excited because they have an everyday collection out now. So these are bras that do not have clasps. They are not for nursing mothers. They're for anybody who wants to use them. And again, that same amazing comfort. So you can get these at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprints and succeeding in some ways. Yes, we have. I caught you. <laughs> you did. You were saying trying and I we're got We're always upset. trying. But one way we're doing this and have been doing this for the past six or so months is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. Because with two kids, I mean, you go through a lot of everything and we go through a lot of laundry, right? So between the four of us, our laundry room was just going through plastic bottle and plastic bottle of detergent. So when we discovered True Earth laundry detergent, we never looked back. The best thing is that the detergent comes in these pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart and put in the machine. Well, people need to understand, I think, that all plastics can't be recycled and like 80% are not recycled when you put them in your bin. Yes. It's madness. It's madness. And, And how much water is used to make those liquid detergents, it's essentially just diluting the actual soap. So when you get these strips and they're just concentrated detergent, it really is amazing to see them work so effectively. Uh, and again, without the big plastic jugs, it's drastically changed the tidiness of the laundry room. Oh, I do not want big plastic jugs in my laundry room. <laughs> you know the way I feel about that. <laughs> but also as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, Betty's got really bad eczema, we go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, it's gentle on everybody's skin, and it's still so tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You will love this product, take my word for it. And again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to our interview. Well, you know what? Throughout this whole conversation, you brought up that one painting that you did where you had the flower coming out of your back and it said beauteous paint um, or, or something like that. And that's that's just I've been thinking about that because everything that we've been talking about, whether it's like emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, like the electrolysis, and then it makes me think of things that I used to hear growing up. Like I think Kate Moss 
uh, the model said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Like comments like that, like that was, have you ever heard that? Never. So that was like what my age, I, I think I'm a little older than you, but that's like what my age, like what we knew. That's like what the hot girls, the pretty girls, their motto. And growing up, just hearing that is just so much damage to your psyche. And you don't even realize, like, I didn't even realize these things until I was like well into my 20s. All the ways that, you know, people around me and the media and beauty culture kind of shape my own ideals. And then in that process of deconstructing, I'm like, holy shit, that's an awful thing for young girls to hear. Nothing tastes as good as beauty feels. And it really makes me think of your painting. And I, I think of, you know, any girl that I know that has struggled with like bulimia, anorexia, anybody I know who is now. And, you know, again, it's a controversial topic because ultimately everybody should feel good in their skin. But then when we have the beauty industry selling people like, oh, you're aging, you shouldn't be wrinkly, like mm-hmm. inject this, get Botox here, like your eyes could use filling. I saw in my city, I live in Hamilton, Ontario, so mm-hmm. not too far from Montreal. And they're suggesting that women get their labia like injected with filler to look more oh. quote unquote youthful. Yes. It like, Oh gosh. Why do I want a youthful looking baby? Like I'm a woman, I'm not a kid. Right. And yeah. that's what I think like beauty is pain. It's kind of infiltrated everything. And whether somebody is dealing with body hair or something else, I just think that that is such a powerful piece that every single woman can relate with in some way. And, and I'm curious, like, have you had people reach out about your art? Not necessarily about body hair, but like other other things that they're dealing with? Yeah, when, because I had my soul exhibition last year and there was a, because I, I obviously couldn't come every day, but like, <laughs> like my soul, it was like, it was like, it lasted like for like a month. That's amazing. So I would come on certain days with like friends and family as well. And like this girl there saw me and she's like, it's the third time I came to your exhibition. It's so, I just love it. The body hair, the representation. I was just like, wow, <laughs> it was a lot of energy, you know? But like, I, I, I was like, cause to me, I, I knew that I wanted representation and also in the art industry, because obviously going to a museum and not seeing, you know, a woman that's very hairy, seeing the hairless woman again, I wanted to see that in, in an art space. And so, but it's not just that, because I think through my art, I want to talk about vulnerable moments that all women go through as well as like me, personal moments that I get to share, but that um, just struggling with our image, but struggling with different parts of our lives, like wanting things to be perfect and wanting to control every aspect of it and just things like that. And so to me, it's about just representing the women in our and and what we go through in life. And I think that by being vulnerable, we get to heal others as well, uh, because I chose to be vulnerable and to show something that I've been hiding for years I got to help other people to feel comfortable in their skin and so through storytelling that's the thing I really love doing through my paintings and to tell stories and and by doing that people get to you know go home and ask themselves these questions as well and to help them deal better better like with their own insecurities in life in general and so it's it's really something when I think about arts because arts is it's like you know growing up I remember people telling me like oh you're gonna be a struggling artist you know that's the same <laughs> sentence we always hear yeah. everybody wants to say that but to me I knew that I, I'm 
I always believed I was going to be successful. So, <laughs> and my mom put that in, she ingrained that in me. So it's that. <laughs> and so through, through my art, I knew that art can heal. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's this weird thing that when you look at something, when you look at a piece of like a, a work of, like a work of art mm-hmm. and, and you, and you can connect with it spiritually, there's something like really that happens inside of you and you kind of get to slowly heal. I don't yeah. know how to explain no, it. No, it's no. really weird. <laughs> I, I think that I think that's a really good way of explaining it. And, you know, one thing I want to ask about, I guess it relates to that kind of healing process is, you know, if body hair in we both live in Canada, in this society, in this time period that we're living in is considered masculine, right? Like if you're going to poll 100 people in Canada, that's what they're going to say. But it seems that, you know, embracing your body hair and seeing it as liberating has helped you get in touch with your femininity. And I I just want to talk about that connection and how those two are are one in the same, how body hair and being feminine is one in the same for you. Yeah, I think that I started connecting the two really when I realized that a woman's body grows hair. And I was like, <laughs> what? How is that not feminine if we naturally grow hair? Right? I'm a female. I grow hair. Automatically feminine. Exactly. <laughs> it's just feminine. That's it. <laughs> yeah, really? That For me, that's how I connected the two. Because I was like, how is this not feminine? How is it masculine? But why am I growing it if it's masculine? Yeah. It doesn't make sense, right? No. And so I, I thought it was so funny because not funny but like I thought it was odd because (laughs) what like we're talking about embracing our body hair and you and like obviously you want young girls as well to to see that there's that option but I just started seeing a lot of like this new trend where it was like just to remove all the hair on your face like the hair we could barely see I just saw this trend I was like what is going on why do you want to do that like what like that doesn't (laughs) even make sense like why why did you wake up and decide let me just remove everything even the hair that you can't even see let me remove that it doesn't make sense and so it's just like the in the beauty industry is fighting back because they're making billions off of us and so they're constantly trying to fight fight like this movement and also in video games i saw video games ads of like makeovers where it was like this woman who was full of hair and then i I was like what what am i seeing like what is this it's just they're 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 pushing it so hard and i think that one day all women will all wake up and realize this and i think that as the movement grows we will all wake up and see what's really going on and that why do we like because we don't wake up you don't just wake up hating yourself you don't wake up feeling like I don't like my nose I don't like you know and it's it's so strange because I I was talking with someone and she's like Middle Eastern and, and we're sharing like oh what's your like your biggest insecurity she's like you, she was like my nose I was like how is your nose your biggest insecurity this is like part of your culture this is your identity your nose is is middle mm-hmm. the Middle Eastern nose why do you feel and it's just ah it affects me so much like in, a, in an emotional way because I'm like we need to start talking yeah. about this we need to understand why we need to look like you know the ideal white woman we are not mm-hmm. white you know I'm, I'm not a white why do I want to look like this you know and so obviously I'm, I'm in this white society and obviously that by default I'm trying to you know assimilate I guess in this culture and so kind of like waking up and realizing that you don't need to do this you can actually stand up and, and you can wake up and be like that's enough and I'm going to be my own self and once you do that you inspire others as well to embrace themselves and to feel comfortable in their appearance and not and not to 
fall into those, you know, propaganda things and to harm themselves because at the end of the day, like doing all that to us really affects our mental health so badly. And like, because I've worked in like retail and like seeing women that are 60, 50, 70, still insecure about their bodies telling me, oh yeah, I don't want to wear this top because we see like the fat on my arms. I wasn't even looking at the fat on your arms. I don't know what you're talking about. This is a normal like middle-aged woman's arm. I, I don't know what you're talking about, right? And it's just like seeing them feel that way. I'm like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want the, the next generation to, to be at that age and to feel insecure about their wrinkles, to feel insecure about their natural body. I'm like, this is this doesn't make sense. And all women should wake up and be like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm going to embrace my body. Because personally, I don't want to be 70 and hating myself. And like, just because you were talking about ageism, that is such a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Like as a woman, you know, it's scary. It's scary to grow old. It's just by default. You don't want to grow old. And and they're making creams, they're making everything. And like, to the point that you cannot, I guess, get a role in the acting world if you're too old or something like that and be like a woman that's desirable or something. You know? I'd be playing a mom to an adult man. Like if I was in an actress, because mm-hmm. of my age, I'd probably be a mom to an adult guy which is like crazy it's crazy and you're right they find the industry and culture in general just finds things for us to be upset about and insecure Mm -hmm. about because we fork out the money i fork out the money i love skincare and it's like why do i love skincare because it you know helps keep my face looking fresh and it's like what's fresh youthful and i'm trying to get out of that myself but it's hard It's so hard to fight against that. And that's why I have so much respect for you. And I think that you are the best person to be in this activist role. Because, you know, you were saying when you were young and you're like, God, why'd you choose me? And it's like, Essie, I think he chose you for a reason. You are so exuberant. And the way that you approach this conversation, the way that you sound like you approach yourself in life is just with this like, it's a powerful positivity. It is so the opposite of like, you know, somebody who's positive without putting anything behind it. It's the opposite of a toxic positivity person. It's like this powerful positivity that actually wants to put change into action. And that is so important. That's like the only kind of role models I want my girls to have. They're four and two. That's it. I don't want them to have any other role models. And I I think it is like it's, it's so crucial and it's so important. And it is a little bit, I can imagine, scary still because, mm-hmm. you know, you are being applauded, but you are a role model to so many people. A lot of people are, you know, looking at your artwork and looking at your story and your storytelling and saying, hey, now I'm healing too. Mm-hmm. But for you, like you're still paving the way, Queen Essie, like you are paving the way and you're walking a road that hasn't necessarily been walked by a ton of women in Canada in 2022. And I know you just you put something out today and it's funny because I was going to ask you about it like when I was prepping this interview a few days ago about dating and you're going to be, you know, sharing about (laughs) dating. And even that I was so curious about like, do you put on your profile, hey, I'm a body hair activist, like just so they know going into it or is it something that you'd like, how do you even how do you approach that with people that aren't in this world? Mm, I I think that at the beginning when you know, I wasn't, when I was shaving and like hiding my chest hair, uh, to me, my chest hair became like a weapon to scare off men. I thought that would be a weapon to scare off men. And I remember there was this guy who really liked me and I I was like, oh, by the way, I have chest hair. And I showed him and he was like, 
I don't care. Like, I was just like, no, you know? And I think that a lot of men, a lot of men don't, don't care or, or they, or they might like it. Right. And so for me, uh, when I went into apps, I think that things started changing a little bit because now that they see your test here, and I think that that's another conversation because I think that, um, a lot of men are not comfortable in their preferences and they're obviously date women to impress their male friends. Mm-hmm. And so they won't be comfortable in liking what they like. And there are women as well, there are men that are, that feel comfortable, but there's not as many. Once I uh, became a body hair activist, I just put my, I, I would write, yeah, but I'm a body hair activist, but I would write my Instagram. So it's just like, and the images I would use, I would make sure they had body hair. So if someone matched with me, they knew. So they knew like, okay, she has she's hairy and that's it right and so um from from like guys like when I was like not like a body activist I was seeing someone and then I became a body activist and he didn't see me any differently he still liked me he still you know he didn't show any disgust he he still desired me right we could say and so I was really shocked and that's really when I realized (laughs) okay um there are men who like that there are men who don't care and I shouldn't be ashamed and so once I I am myself I am unashamed and I show it. Now it's just like, if there are men that don't like that, that's okay. I don't want them anyways. Like, I don't want a man who doesn't like me and who's always going to judge me based on my appearance. That's stupid. And I think, and it's weird because like, when I used to, like I posted videos on my on my YouTube channel and everything. And I had, there was this guy who was like, oh, well, she's not going to find a man. She's not going to find a man that she wants. I'm like, why would I want a man who's not comfortable with my appearance like what are you talking about you know like why would I want that I think the last thing any woman wants is a man who doesn't desire them or want them in some way right yeah exactly and I'm like uh, and and for for people they're always projecting their insecurities of course they're they're convinced that there's no one who's gonna like me and that's not true (laughs) that's not true (laughs) there's people like me and and in a weird way uh this scary moment that I (laughs) kind of discovered is that there's a whole community of men that fetishize hairy women like after becoming a body hair activist and I still do get vulgar or just strange messages from men around the world sharing their obsessions. And so, <laughs> so let, yeah, there are men around the world, but I try to avoid the one that have fetishes because like they're basically objectifying you. You are an object to them. And so I don't want to be with a man who's, who thinks that way of me. And so, yeah, so I make sure of that. And like, the person I used to see, I'm not seeing anyone currently, and I'm glad that I'm single because I cannot focus <laughs> if I have, when I have a boyfriend or something. And I need to focus on my career because I, I get too dis- distracted. And so the person I was seeing was like, I find you beautiful. And I was like, you sh- you know, I have body hair. And that, like we used to talk like on Instagram before like meeting mm-hmm. a person. He's like, I'm like, you know that I yeah, have body hair, right? You see that? He's like, yeah, I think it makes you even more beautiful. I was like, Oh, okay, then. Because like now you see my images. There's nothing to hide. If if you're gonna DM me, if you're gonna talk to me, you see what you see, and it's your choice now, <laughs> you know. And so he didn't. He was not uncomfortable with the fact that I was very very hairy. Even I, I was like, the the guys that I, I, like the people that I used to date or whatever. Like I've been hairier than them. So yeah. Um. So and they haven't felt emasculated or insecure by the fact that I was hairy or. or disgusted Mm -hmm. so I think that yes those men exist and I think that it's important to stop thinking that no one could ever like you because you look a certain way and that's that's really at the end of the day we see all types of people when we look outside and they're in a relationship all right and so we have to stop (laughs) thinking that we can't find anyone because of a little tiny insecurity or something like that and so um it's important really to 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 really be comfortable in our parents and to to allow people to see us as we are and they get to choose if they want to be with us or not we don't have to I don't have to hide anymore 
and so um so anyone that approaches me they see what I look like and yeah and ultimately like that's what somebody should if somebody wants you that's you want them to want all of you Mm -hmm. right you want them to want you for your uniqueness your own beauty not because you look like the person down the street or the person on that billboard and that is so important it's like do you want a real connection with somebody or something based on like what you said somebody that they can show off to their guy friends and who knows like do guys even know what their other guy friends are into I seriously doubt it (laughs) I seriously doubt it like you know maybe one guy is trying to show off some babe who's totally hairless meanwhile his buddies are like "Ooh, I like hairy babes and they don't have these conversations because this thing isn't things like that are not normalized right and with representation hopefully can come conversations about that even in like circles of people we're dating and their friends and just extend that because it is so important and I love that you're sharing about that by the way because I think dating in general is just like like I'm married thank god I I I was I didn't get on the apps they were like this happened I don't know again I'm a little older than you but I'm so glad I didn't because they seem tough and I know it's so the norm people are like much more comfortable with them now but just because I was never on them I they make me a little nervous thinking about it. And dating is freaking scary on the apps or not on the apps because you're putting yourself out there for somebody. You're risking a person being like, ooh, like, I don't like you for this reason, this reason, that reason. And I love that you're sharing this dating experience because it's like with your painting, beauty is pain, whether people relate on the level because they have body hair, whether they relate in a way that has to do with weight or with acne or whatever it is people are going to relate to you sharing things like that and they're going to relate it to their own experience even if it is totally different than yours but I think I think it's so awesome and I I I so respect that you are so willing to put yourself forward in art and then again on social media because social media like can be very ruthless yes of course that's for sure people are Um, mm -hmm. (laughs) able Yeah. Oh, but I just thought of something. Yeah. Even like, because when we're talking about like kids and how to like really be a good parent, I think that for me, my mom has always defended me. <laughs> She's always been my number one fan. And like, I used to have a lot of acne growing up. Just because you mentioned that, I just remembered this. But like, I used to have a lot of acne, and I remember like just like cousins making fun of me, and my mom was always defend me and be like, "No, my daughter's beautiful. Stop saying that." Like, yeah, she would always defend me. And so, I, I if even if I, I kind of like would close myself because someone would like intimidate me my mom would be there and I wouldn't feel so alone and so I think that those are another way to also be there for your kid but but yeah but speaking about that thank you so much (laughs) for for, for what you're saying about me but I think that at first I wasn't really trying to to be that person Mm -hmm. and because I was like so shy introverted and all that I didn't want to be that person ever (laughs) I never imagined to be this person ever in my entire life I just wanted to be in my corner right and not have to speak and so I guess God forced me (laughs) you know I just had to, to to do this and 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 I think it's really about um helping others you know even though people because because when people write those mean comments I don't even take it personally anymore like I don't take it personally because I'm like it's completely normal that they they believe that it's completely normal that they feel the need to put me down because that's what we were all taught we're taught that you know body hair is gross on a woman and and 
I've, I've even had a friend, a guy friend who was like, oh, but you know, it's unhygienic, unhygienic on like a woman. And I was like, oh, so but it's not unhygienic on you, right? Like, Interesting. You have he just stayed there silent. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? When we put that, that myth back on them, they're like, oh, that's true. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And so the thing about people wanting to insult you and things like that or insult me, I mean, it, it's just people who don't question themselves all these ideas or just people who enjoy being bullies okay let's be honest we were all in high school there are people who love bullying and they love getting a reaction out of you and I'd never give them an ounce of my energy I just give my energy to people who need help and so um so for me uh the most important thing in what I do is really being able to help people being able to help allow people or give them the option to even feel comfortable in themselves and so for me sharing my story and all that that's that's really been the most incredible feeling to um, to see other women embracing themselves because I chose to embrace myself. And so um, for me, that's that's the number one, the most incredible feeling, like I said. <laughs> no, it is. And I, I think that's what we all strive for. And that's why people are willing to, you know, put forth all this money and time into achieving a standard because we all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want that, like, that feeling of liberation, but it can't come from adhering to things like that. It can't. It doesn't because that's not confidence from within. It's it's different. It's manufactured. And, you know, you're talking about wanting to help people and give those people your energy. The last thing I want to ask you, Essie, is, you know, if you had to give a piece of it, which I'm sure you give advice to people all the time, but if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who was struggling with self, not even self-love, just self-acceptance for something that is different about them or not the standard, what is it that you would tell them? I would say to choose yourself and to choose life. Because for me, because I was, you know, in my, because of my parents, I was very depressed and going down a really dark hole. And so choosing yourself is super important every day. And, and to choose yourself, it's also important to realize no matter how many people start liking you at one point, let's say a hundred people told you you were beautiful, you would not find yourself beautiful. There are women that we think are the most beautiful and they're still insecure about their appearance. And so you have to understand that this strength and this confidence comes from within mm -hmm. and you have to like really work on that. And it's a process. It doesn't come like in one day, like for me, it took like almost a decade to get <laughs> to where I am today. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it's really about choosing yourself and, and to work on yourself slowly. And, and the best thing you could do, like my mother taught me, is to compliment myself. <laughs> compliment yourself yeah. is the is the is the start to something. Mm -hmm. Really, to do it every single day, every time you see your reflection, to do it because we all have that voice, that negative voice that was created by you know these ideas that society fed us that will tell just by looking at yourself, you'll hear that voice saying, "Oh, I'm ugly," but it's not you. It's this voice that was programmed to say these things because that's what it was taught. And so you have to fight that voice within and tell it, "No, I'm beautiful," and you have to contradict it. And that's how this voice starts to change to the point that when I look at myself, even if, if I decide to say I'm ugly, that voice goes, no, I'm beautiful because I trained it to say this. Now I, I, I deprogrammed it in a way that now if I insult myself or if someone insults me, it's like, no, that's not true. And so that's really something that's really important because we all have these ideas ingrained in our brain and we can change that if we decide to work on them, but it takes time, but it will, it, it does like, I, I could say that, it's worked for me. And so I think that that's a way that to, to really 
start the process. And there are so many mm. things I could add to that. No, I know. Honestly, I bet there are, I'm going to need a part two, <laughs> but no, 100%. <laughs> and my piece of advice would be to go follow Queen Essie on Instagram, because, you know, if you're a listener and you're sitting here listening to this, I can only imagine like you, you must feel inspired. You must feel a little bit more powerful and that desire to feel liberated like you've been talking about. And where can people do that? Where can people find you online on social media? Where can they follow your art, your storytelling? Tell us all so we can all go and follow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you can find me on Instagram, Queen Essie, Facebook, Queen Essie. Um, on Instagram for like my paintings, it's artist Essie, but it's also in my bio. Like if you need to find it, it's in my bio on Instagram. So, uh, but also you could find like, the, I have three videos up on YouTube talking about like confidence my and my story, how I became who I am today. And that now I'm also on this new streaming platform called StreamMoco. And that's where all my videos are going to be now. And I just posted a video about dating. So that's another place to go. It's a really cool platform, like with creators that are really inspiring. And so I'm really glad to be on that platform. And so that's there. So also, I guess, Twitter, TikTok, everywhere. You're I everywhere. think everywhere. And Pinterest. Pinterest as well. You're energetic. <laughs> I don't have the energy. <laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. But... Seriously, Essie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I know that our listeners are as well. This is so right up our alley. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Absolutely. It was so nice meeting you. I've been uh, I've been dying to tell you what a fan I am for a while. So, so nice. Well, I'm really flattered. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Like, I really love what you're doing. It's really important thank to bring you. people uh, on a platform like this to really, you know, inspire others and, and to show them that there's this option to really to to choose you and to, to be free. And what does that you, that, that freedom means, really? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Well, I couldn't do it without people like you. And truly, thank you. But as it was so nice meeting you and I hope you have a rest of uh, a great rest of your night. <laughs> you too. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Bye. Good interview. Thank you, Shane. I was so fascinated by that. I love Queen Essie's bravery, how she approaches the just the subject of body hair and the subject of dating and femininity and art. And she is such a creative and bubbly person. And I think it is such a such a natural fit that she is doing this. And again, an amazing role model, an amazing person to have images pop up on your feed when you're scrolling through Instagram. So guys, go give her a follow. Do you know what else is amazing? What? This mailbag segment, Ooh. Alex takes your questions, you the listener, answers them. She Googles stuff. She does stuff that it takes a little bit of time. Maybe not this week because last week I said that and she said, oh, well, this week I didn't have to do that much research because there are more frivolous questions. This week, a lot of research or no? No, I told you that. I told you. I said uh, we got an easy peasy mailbag segment this week. Were these real listener questions or these pretend ones that you made up to make no, it? I've never right. No, no, no. They are real listener questions. Okay. Let's okay. hear some. First person. <laughs> I can't tell if this is judgy or genuinely curious. This person says, you're out of isolation already? Because we had gone grocery shopping on the weekend. So I want to clarify the rules that we were given when it comes to COVID because we play it safe. If we've done one thing in the past two years, people know that follow us, tell us in this, we've been playing it pretty safe. Anyhow, uh, Shane tested positive on the Sunday. 
Okay, so last Sunday. And then we called, you know, we got PCRs, whatever. And we were told by public health that our account, because you have to isolate like in your home for five days. So public health said, okay, look, like because you're not testing positive, you could technically put on a mask and go to work. But I was like, no, I'm, I'm symptomatic. That's part of the reason my husband and I took tests. And they said, okay, well, your count, then your five-day count starts on day one of your symptoms. So Shane and I started isolation on the first that first day together. So after five days, you can go out into the public, but you have to remain masked. So like when we went grocery shopping, when we went to get Lucy's bed, you just remain masked and you're technically not allowed to go anywhere where you are like eating whatever. All day at school today, you remain masked? Yeah. Yeah, except when I my lunch. But it says that. It says it's weird because we're not allowed to go for, you know, 10 days total. So five days after you leave isolation, you're not allowed to go to restaurants and things. But yeah. it says that you you go everywhere and says you can go to work and remain masked at work. But then you're allowed to unmask in certain circumstances, like when you're eating or drinking. Well, it'd be hard to eat food with the mask on. It would be funny <laughs> to watch someone kind of shove it under there. <laughs> but it's just it's just like one of those funny things like... Jelly beans would be the easiest, I think. Licorice? Licorice would be easy. Feed it through yeah. nibs. I love nibs. A um, taquito? Do you remember we went through a thing with nibs? No, but I wish I was going through a thing with nibs right now. <laughs> <laughs> Same, babe. Um... Anyway, so yeah, so I, I unmasked to eat and drink my coffee and whatnot, but, but that was it. So it's fine. So yeah, so you're allowed to be out and about, but masked for five days following your isolation period. However, if you aren't symptomatic, just like Shane tested positive on the Sunday and I was not symptomatic and not testing positive, then my count would start on the day that either my symptoms started or on the day that I tested positive. So when you see people isolating longer because their family members had it first, that's why. But it was hard to get that information because I was talking to different health officials and I felt like they were giving me different information. Yeah, it's So it tough. was nuts. Yeah. A lot of people, they're not in line with their company. This happens no. all the time when I'm calling about overages or bank things. I've been given, I was told that our bank doesn't accept wire transfers and it really messed me up in business dealings because I went mm -hmm. through all these extreme lengths and PayPal accounts, which charge you extra money to do that. And then I found out I just talked to the wrong person and our bank does accept wire transfers. That is insane. Yeah. Remember I went yeah. through a year telling everyone our bank doesn't accept that? I realized just because you're the employee of a company doesn't mean you know everything. And it's like that with health health officials yeah. too. Doctors have told me all sorts of weird things. That's why Clearly. I think, why do you think I'm my own doctor? <laughs> Maybe you could diagnose me. You know, I think I also have general focused anxiety right now. Just really? touch on that. I told you. I, I wondered told you. why you were so fascinated with my genital focused anxiety. You just wanted to wait for the perfect time to talk about yours. Well, because I'm a little bit nervous, Shane. A little bit anxious, you might say. I told you yesterday, I think I need to go see a gynecologist. Okay. Because I think that after my episiotomy and then giving birth again, because my first episiotomy, I had an episiotomy with Lucy. When they sewed me back up, there was like an issue with scar tissue, an issue with the tissue. <laughs> No, that's 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 good. <laughs> Rhyming's fun. People like that. I don't know why that happened. So there was an issue with that. And then 
they were like, okay, we'll fix it when you give birth to your next kid. And then I gave birth to Betty. They fixed it, but then the stitches popped. So is what's happening that your butthole's becoming your vagina? They're becoming the same hole? No, Shane. It was just a guess. We, <laughs> why do we have to make people feel that way? I'm not. For asking I'm questions. Saying... Well, you don't know how I feel. You are. Get out of here. So anyway, there's issues there. and With the tissues? With the tissue. And it's it's hurting and it's causing problems. Hmm. And um, I feel like from my research, and again, this is why I hate being a Google doctor because it does scare you, but I feel like the only solution is to possibly get things like sliced and then sewn back together again. And I, I really don't want that after having gone through it twice with childbirth. It was like the recovery process is terrible for that. Like you can't even poop. And what do you do then? Well, I might have I might have to do that. No, but I mean, when you say you can't poop, where does it well, go? Well, you have to take like stool softeners. Oh. Like, do you remember when I gave birth to the kids? I was taking stool softeners, stool softeners the second I like had the kids. There was so much going on. I wasn't even keeping track of the stool softeners. <laughs> but uh, no, it's like awful. And like sitting down, standing up, can't swim, can't have sex, can't do anything, can't pee without hurting, got to have a peri bottle. Like, I don't know what's going to have to happen, but I, I am anxious about it. And I do need to talk to a gynecologist. Well, I'm sorry you're going through that. No, thank you. It's uh. It's weighing on me, and I've, it's actually really put a damper on my mood the past couple of days. Is that what's been going on? Yeah. Oh. Genital focus so it wasn't anxiety. Me. <laughs> Yet again, not me. No, it's always yes. you a little bit. Oh, okay. But uh, next question. What do you think genuinely came first, the chicken or the egg? We're reaching here with the questions, but I like it. No, I don't think that's like a reach. That, this must come from something. Are you? Is this a real question? Yeah. Miss Blondie, babe. Okay, because we were watching a show the other day and they were asking about the chicken or the egg. I have I have my answer, though. I think I know what it is. I, what okay. I think well, it on is. On the count of three, let's say. Okay. One, two, three. Egg. Chicken. Oh, really? Explain your answer. Well, Adam and Eve, they didn't show up as eggs. No. They're people, right? <laughs> okay, well, you, let's hear yours. <laughs> okay, so... There's going to be an egg from some kind of animal and dinosaurs are they're the closest living relative dinosaurs are chickens, right? To T-Rex anyway, the closest okay. living. So maybe there was like some kind of dino egg. And then because of evolution and whatnot, a chicken came out, came out. A ch hmm, this <laughs> chicken. is your better argument. A chicken came out. Um, a chicken came out, found another chicken like dino. Right. And then they just kept going on the chicken line. Okay, so you're a, you're a religious teacher, a Catholic mm -hmm. teacher. Yeah. I come from a public school, so it's a little bit different for me. I'm more agnostic than right. you probably. However, isn't the idea that people came to the, like God created people. He didn't create like an egg, like you have eggs inside you. Yeah. He, it wasn't just like an inside of you egg laying on the ground and a kid popped out. He just put people on the ground. And he said, start doing it. No, 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 no. We don't, Catholics don't believe that. Like, what, there's, do, what do they believe? They believe eggs came first? Evolution. Oh, but they don't believe like the first thing didn't just, didn't God just create the it's like things? like the first organism. They, they, they think Catholics feel that God created the very first organism. So which he would started been like, with eggs? No, like 
single cellular microorganisms. So there you go. Organisms came first before eggs. It, well, an egg is a cell, right? So I guess the egg did come first. There now, you have it, folks. I hope your brain hasn't exploded yet. After <laughs> they came out the egg, I think a lot of people are... <laughs> Their All minds right. aren't that blown. Next question. <laughs> There's so much support on Instagram for women with fertility issues. Is there the same support for men? I think I mean, it's more made fun of, right? Is it? Our one friend got a very low sperm count. It was all jokes. Whereas I, I feel like if a woman came through, it'd be more like tears. Yeah, Vin Shane. But how do, how do you know it wasn't tears? How do you think that made him feel? If he's like, oh, having kids is going to be really oh, hard for me I and think, all his guy friends are making fun of him. I think it did make him feel bad. Of course. L listen to what I'm saying <laughs> for one second. We're saying if our people treated the same. Yeah. I'm not saying he didn't feel just as bad as a woman might. Shane, did you take part in the making fun? I just laughed because some zingers were good. However... I don't like being part of society like that. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. So there really isn't the same support. Like Shane said, I think it either goes to a place of, oh, well, this can't hurt him because guys don't maybe have that same inherent inclination to be parents as women, which is bullshit. He didn't even want to be a parent. That's the, th it still upset him, even though he didn't want to be a parent. Okay. But that was known before you guys said anything. Yes. But it still upset him just to of prove course. your point. Yeah. What do you mean? Of course. If you don't want kids and you find out you can't have them, you think in a way it's free vasectomy. No, but I, I, I think that because it solidifies that choice for you without you really making it on your own volition, like your, your body's just saying, all right, this is the choice. You know what I mean? So I think coming to grasp with that and you're still kind of grieving the loss of a possibility that maybe you would want eventually who knows right mm -hmm. but i did some research because i was like okay i've never seen a men's infertility help group or support group so i was looking them up and i found an article that gave us a few good ones and i want i want to point those out but they're small everything is small and, and the community here is tiny and i don't know if it's because men don't feel comfortable reaching out for that kind of support or I think it's even more rare that maybe men are willing to get out there and say, okay, like I'm going to be helpful and I'm going to provide the support to other people. But the three things that I found that looked good and helpful, if you did want to provide somebody with support, uh, there is an infertility male podcast, male infertility podcast, and it's hosted by Nick Denton. So you could search that up, male infertility podcast on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, or he's got an Instagram account. And then there is man's IVF view. So the man's perspective of what it's like going through IVF. And it's like a show like The View? No, like his view of mm -hmm. IVF and his perspective of the process. Oh, I pictured five like, you know, chatty men <laughs> debating <laughs> things. <laughs> no, that would be interesting. And too bad there isn't something like that, right? It could be so helpful. And All about male fertility. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hard. I would not want to be the producer of that show. Be tough. Coming every, up with topics. Like to come up with new and exciting ways to discuss it. But uh, anyway, so that's really interesting. So again, that's, you know, hosted by a man who is going through it and he just provides a lot of insight, his own experience and facts. And then the last one I find, I found that is, really great is IVF underscore explained and it's run by an embryology lab. So it's run by doctors and it's like straight facts. And I think it could be helpful for men and women. And I liked it, you know, if you're 
going to give it to a man to check out, it's great because it's not, it doesn't go like, oh, this is the mom's perspective. This is what women are going through. It's really neutral and just science. It's, they it's, start it's really off good. talking about football and then they gradually ease their way in. <laughs> Next question. What's worse for a child? An inconsistent parent or an absent parent? My friend's ex comes in and out of their child's life and sometimes I wonder if that causes more issues. Shane, what do you think? I think uh, inconsistent's better. Inconsistent than absent? Yeah, at least you're there sometimes. You can have memories. If you feel like you're abandoned, that that gives a lot of people... I guess it's a constant feel of abandonment if yeah. a person's being inconsistent, but definitely you want to have some semblance of relationship with your parent. Yeah. So there's, it, it was funny because I couldn't even find one quote unquote right answer because I mean, it is so nuanced and it depends on what the family dynamic is like and you can't have one right answer for every family. If they're coming in with a beating inconsistently, probably not. In with what? Like with a beating, if it comes in and they're mean to you or not mm -hmm. nice or hitting you or like that type of relationship. But if let's say every two and a half weeks, they take you on a nice trip and you have a great weekend. And then sometimes you think they're going to, but they don't. But then when they do, it's a nice surprise. Then you go away. It's like that type of yo-yo thing isn't ideal, but I think that would be still better mm -hmm. than not having any relationship. It has to be. So the articles I found pointed to both things, but I found more articles advocating for the importance of consistency because consistency in so many facets of parenting is just the most powerful yeah, thing. Yeah, but we know that. We're just saying mm. if you're going with the two evils, which is the lesser evil? Well, I found – I ended up in all these forums and everybody was arguing for absent. For saying absent? That, saying that that's easier <laughs> you mean on a child, absent parent. Oh, absent. Rather than constantly being yeah. disappointed well, because then you don't even have a connection with that parent and then they can just go through life happily, not even knowing what they're missing or what they can get from it. And then it gives it gives an opportunity for somebody else to step in and fill that role. It's one of those arguments that sounds better to say, I think. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, you might as well not even be here. It's better if you weren't even around. But I don't think in practice it's actually better. But it sounds better to say it's like more provocative of a statement like yeah. it's better to just be absent but i don't think those people who are saying it even believe it well i i don't think that you could say either way like i said because it is so nuanced and because every dynamic is going to be different are, are you telling me alice you would what? never see your dad like let's say it was your dad great dad yeah and he's on trips and he's disappointing you all the time but he's also showing up at random basketball no. games where you'd rather have him not show up at all not be there no, no no i'd rather him be there i'd rather him be inconsistent but that's because our dynamic is great and he's a great guy to be around and he's so giving and oh, generous I'm only, and loving i'm only saying it's a good parent right i think with parents who are i don't know out of control yeah i'd rather not have them around yeah we're saying good parent but they're inconsistent what's better well i for me it would be inconsistent. Like if it was me growing up, I'd say inconsistent, but it would still be tough. And, you know, every article that I kind of find that was in a form and was more scholarly, it would always be accompanied by numbers to call and therapists to see um, and talk to if your child is going through either. If there yeah. is an inconsistent parent in their life or an absent parent, because they may need help coping and you as a parent are going to have to learn how to possibly support them through that. And I guess it depends how inconsistent. Are they showing up once every three years? If so, it better be 
one hell of a vacation they're taking you on. <laughs> one trip to the Maldives every three years, just like is on that a one good of those place? ocean. Yeah, it's like where you go and you stay on the right in the ocean. You if know you're what a I'm child, talking about? Do you care about the Maldives though? I don't know. I you're thinking not. of like if they whisked you away <laughs> at age 33. Uh, next question. What is your most and least favorite thing about living in Hamilton? My most favorite thing about living in Hamilton, I love the community. I love everything. It's like there's always something cropping up and it's always so exciting. And everybody in the city, I feel like, rallies around it, whether it's like a new restaurant, a new club, a bar, a music place, a band. And there's really just an amazing sense of community in Hamilton and so many green spaces. Hamilton is so green. Yeah, if it got any bigger, it, the community would be so much. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the perfect size city, and we talk about this often, where it's almost like a really big high school. Yeah. I feel like I know almost every Hamiltonian. I walk around. I feel like we got each other's backs. And then when I go to Toronto, <laughs> it's a little bit everyone's all for, like We're everyone's nobody. on their own. You know what I mean? Uh, and the Not pretentious. Mm-hmm. It's and uh, sometimes a store will open up and it will try to be pretentious and it just won't work out. It won't mm -hmm. fit. It'll be it'll feel odd. I love that. Um, things I don't like about the city. I don't like the idea of looking out into a steel mill with billowing yeah. black clouds. That feels like it's lowering my life expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. I don't like the litter, but I mean, that could be said, I'm sure, of any biggish city. But like, I feel like we have some of the worst litter bugs and we are on the Niagara Escarpment. So this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, I think. It's an incredibly like well-known and well-preserved and renowned feature in the world. And people treat it like garbage. And I hate that. And uh, I want them to stop. So they're treating the city like the thing that they're putting on the, yes. the ground in the city. Which makes them the thing that they're putting on the ground. They become the trash. Wow. The, the litterers become the trash. Dude. That's cool. Yeah, blowing your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, this episode is really uh, expanding all of our mm -hmm. consciousness. Consciousness. I feel like I just fall out of an egg, <laughs> whatever that expression was. Um, would you ever consider having a third baby? Maybe a new listener. I address this poor. If we ever have a third baby, just know that it was an accident. I'm never going to say it because then I don't want the kid to know. But just know that it is an accident. It would definitely. I would. I don't want to say it would ruin our life, but it would ruin our lifestyle. Shane, it wouldn't because like everything, we just adjust. It would You're just be. You're not pregnant right now. Well, you're pretty quick to hop on the like. <laughs> it'll be fine. It would be fine. Like it wouldn't ruin our life, you ding bad, but it I, would make things difficult. I would become a very inconsistent parent. <laughs> Shane, <laughs> I'd be a consistent <laughs> regular at the local bar. All right, final question, and it's okay. No question, but a confession. You with the the hip hop tonight. Was that rhyming? It's not a question. It's a confession. Here's my <laughs> tissue. I got an issue. <laughs> All right. We're ending it on a sweet note. This just, person says, you both are my IG crushes. And I just want to know, you, we can't be the same. Who, who do said you crush this? on more? Hmm. Don't know that person. Neither do I. But Shane, who do you think she crushes on more? Me or you? 
I don't know. Probably you. Well, I'm gonna. Your stash is hard to resist. Yeah, you're trying to like roast me in a weird way. No, I'm not. I love the stash. Everybody knows okay, that. Okay, but you said that sarcastic. I don't know. Your stash is hard to resist. Well, I'm trying to make you feel good. It doesn't. <laughs> it is one of the things that I find most attractive about you. Oh, thanks. You the f- hair. <laughs> oh, I guess that's thematic here. But it yeah, is. like the woman said, you you don't want someone to uh, fetishize. I feel like that's what you're doing to me. No, I don't do that. I just pretend that you're Burt Reynolds anytime we're kissing. Okay, get me out of here. <laughs> Hit the new theme song. Oh, wait, we don't have one yet. Let's see in <laughs> Getting two weeks. there. Okay, that's everything, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 125.